Do you want to hear the greatest story? Yeah, I do. Oh my god, Bon Jovi sound checking. We got to see this. But then we hear um guy whistle into a microphone. Yeah, it was John, and he goes, "The kids can stay." We're like, "Oh, cool." <laughs> nice. Thanks, thanks, Johnny. It was a small theatre, and we went upstairs, and there was a photo of Dire Straits, who mm. did their very first rock blast there in 1982, oh, wow. which was just so cool. Yeah. So these bikies got in touch with us, give us 500 bucks so you don't get your singer back. <laughs> Holy shit. Welcome everyone, you are listening to the Art of Touring podcast. This is an interview style podcast where I talk with musicians, performers and sometimes wrestlers. I am your host, the Sis Dog. Thanks for joining me. I am a little bit sore tonight as I record this pod this week. I tell you right now, started a new gym routine uh, a few weeks ago and I, I went along on Monday afternoon, felt fine. Didn't feel too bad the next day. Come Wednesday though, my back was killing me. But I've come good. Well, not or not completely good. It's now, you know, Thursday night. So it's been a couple of days. I've been, you know, I've been chewing down those uh, anti-inflammatories. Uh, got myself through the parent-teacher interviews, the classic parent-teacher interviews. Um, you know, oh, little Johnny's doing great with music. He knows what a semi-brief is. He knows it's worth four but- beats. <laughs> Or does he? So things are looking up, mate. Tell you right now. I hope um, that I uh, I get through this weekend, though, because I'll be doing three acoustic covers gigs in two days. One on Friday night at a beautiful winery. Oh, yeah, it's very picturesque. And then uh, Saturday afternoon, I'm going to be playing at a uh, football club. Shout out to the Mernda Football Club doing their ladies afternoon. So that'll be fun. And then Saturday night, as always, I'll be back at Point Cook at the uh, the Black Swan Tavern. So yeah, three gigs, two days. Wish me luck, Art of Touring listeners, because I'm going to need it. It's going to be a tough weekend ahead. This week, however, on the podcast, I caught up with Austin Dunmore of Dunmore Music. Uh, he is a guitar player, a singer. Uh, Austin and I caught up before our rehearsal for the upcoming gig at the Corner Hotel. And uh, Austin delves into his musical upbringing and tells the hilarious story of the ups and the downs of playing in a Led Zeppelin tribute band. So stick around for that. Art of Touring is brought to you every single uh, Friday, every week on the Friday, you can listen to Art of Turing on iTunes or the Google Podcasts app on your mobile uh, Android device. And remember, Art of Turing is part of the Olada Green Podcast Network. You can check out all their other awesome podcasts on their network at www.olodagreen.com.au. Guys, tell friends about this podcast. Yeah, subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already. Tweet about the show. Make a Facebook post about the show. Print off A4 flyers and drop them from a 747 uh, on the MCG on grand final day. That would be epic. Just get out there and get the word out about the podcast. That would be awesome. Uh, there is some coarse language this week. Uh, for the podcast. I think I drop one F-bomb. So, you know, if you uh, do hear it, you're the, the lucky winner this week, kids. Uh, but if you are listening with kids, <laughs> uh, it might be a good idea to throw on Star Wars, The Clone Wars, and once they're dropped off at their, uh, you know, swimming lessons, throw Art of Touring back on. Now let's take a moment to hear from this week's sponsor. Episode 68 of The Art of Touring is brought to you this week by Ernie McCracken's Unified Fund. Do you know a hot single mum trying to raise their child on their own? 
then let Ernie know the Unifying Fund will find professional bowlers to be foster fathers to families needing a wacky father figure. <laughs> I'm Ernie McCracken. When I found out little Billy here was growing up without a daddy, I had to do something. When Big Ern saw our picture in the paper, he called the Unified Fund and got involved. I had to. I couldn't help myself. But little Billy's not the only one. There's also a little Jason here. Once again this year, I'll be sponsoring a fatherless family in every city I bowl with. Sometimes when I wake up in the morning, Mr. McCracken's already there. <laughs> Jonathan, we're going to fly pattern all the way to the goal line. Tennessee! Kentucky! Find Beach! Uh, deeper, Jonathan! It's a tough world. These kids nearly got munsoned, but they're back now. Through the Unified Fund, I found out that if you give a little, you can get back a whole lot more. Just so you know, Art of Touring is hosted by Wooshka. If you'd like to listen to, uh, on uh, your desktop, you can. Just Google Art of Touring and follow the links to the Wooshka homepage. Before we hear my interview with Austin, I'd like to share with you some of his music. This is a track called Vincent Crane. Check it out. And there you go, there's just a taste of the song Vincent Crane by uh, Austin's uh, previous band, The Caning. Uh, just so you know, Art of Touring listeners, this week's podcast was recorded in a rehearsal room at Laneway Studios, so you may hear some subtle rehearsing going on in the background, but nothing too distracting. Uh, but just at the end of our conversation, we did have some of the members of the band who will be putting on the Pearl Jam tribute to Vitalogy uh, enter the room at the end of the night. Uh, the boys, well, at the start of the night, because we were there at around 6pm. Uh, the boys were very cool about us, though, uh, cool about it, uh, that we were using the uh, space to record the pod and, uh, you know, uh, let us finish up without too many distractions. So, without any further ado, here's my conversation with Austin Dunmore.
Welcome everyone, you are listening to the Art of Touring podcast. I'm sitting here in Laneway Studios this evening in Abbotsford because uh, we are rehearsing for a gig coming up and sitting across from me is Austin Dunmore, guitar player and singer for Dunmore Music. How are you, Austin? I'm really well, thanks, Sizdog. <laughs> You've been waiting all day to call me Sizdog, haven't you? <laughs> yep. It's like I've known this bloke since he was calling himself Dave, and so now he's going by this sis dog moniker. I don't know. I don't know. We've got to push your profile, mate. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, the uh, the podcasting profile. Yeah, far out. So, um, yeah, man, where where are you from? Where did you grow up? So I uh, I grew up in Canberra. Right. Uh, and uh, if you know anything about Canberra, if you've ever been there, it is. Um, uh, as far as rock and roll goes, it's a bit of a cultural black hole, yeah, basically. Yeah. Um, although I, I, I get the impression there's a uh, there, there's a lot of musicians who come out of Canberra um, and like come out basically and get, get out of there, get, get the hell out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and I'm one of those. Um, yeah, a lot of um, a lot of dope smoking and uh, picking mushrooms in the hills goes on uh, when when you're a teenager in Canberra basically but uh, yeah uh, not that, much else to do that's right it's uh, it, it's a large uh, like hugely dispersed um, uh, it's I mean it's a quarter of a million people mm. uh, uh, it's I, I, I hesitate to call it a city because it's just so flat and the only yeah. if, if you don't have um, a car, basically, you have this uh, uh, this bus system to, to get around on. That's right. it. That's, that's the only public transport in there. Whenever I go to Canberra, I feel like I'm in, like, just a really big country town, like Geelong or something. Like, it's just a little bit bigger than, you know, Geelong, obviously. But you know what I mean? It has that vibe. It, it Yeah, you've nailed yeah. It. Uh, yeah. it. Overlaid with this kind of, uh, like, public service slash, you know, like... Uh, politician kind of thing that's kind of happening in the background. Yeah. But, um, but like, I, I never really uh, uh, saw or had any exposure to any of that. Maybe when I was, like, in school, like, some of the kids would be, uh, you know, their parents would be diplomatic staff. Oh, right. And there might might have been a bit more kind of ethnic diversity than other places. I don't know. Like, I, I, I don't know. Uh, what other places were like? Probably, you know, like uh, nothing like Melbourne, of course. You yeah, had, you yeah. know, like you, you already had, you know, huge ethnic populations um, uh, congregating in, in various areas, like the, you know, the, the Greeks and Turks and whatever. Um, but uh, Italians in, in uh, Thomas Town and yeah. being in all that. <laughs> That's right. So, like, it, it, Melbourne was a culture shock for me uh, yeah, when right. I first came here. Uh, so, mainly um, like a white neighbourhood up in in Canberra. Uh, yeah, I mean, like, uh, I had um, uh, a best friend when I was six who was Indonesian. Yep. And then I used to play um, backgammon with the, the kid across the street when I was, like, 11, and he was uh, Egyptian. Mm. So, like, it it, it wasn't – I mean, it was predominantly white, but, um, yeah. like, there, there was still, you know um, – uh, quite a bit of representation from other nationalities and so forth. Yeah, right. And so, um, did you come from a big family, a small family? Any brothers or sisters? Small family, one brother, younger brother. Um, yeah. Eighteen months. Uh, he never really got into the music. Mm-hmm. Um, he he uh, did art, and then uh, when uh, when he got into his twenties, uh, he became a comedian. 
Oh, really? So, yep, Carl Dunmore has uh, has been active on the uh, on the Melbourne comedy circuit. Yeah. Um, as for me, I uh, I picked up a guitar when I was about eleven. It was a high school elective when I got to to high school. Yeah. In year seven, um, uh, guitar was uh, was one of the options, and there was actually um, a, a a bit of confusion because. Um, uh, my parents had split up, and my mum wanted to move to Victoria, and right. um, and dad was basically staying in Canberra, and uh, I didn't want to go to Victoria. Like, right. uh, I, um, I certainly didn't want to move. Like, I I was comfortable in Canberra at that point, yeah. and um, so I didn't actually select my high school electives until really late in the piece, and then I just had to take whatever was available. Oh, and right, guitar, whatever was left over. Yeah, guitar was one of those things. Hmm. So uh, actually, yeah, I'm misremembering. It was probably year eight. I think year seven, there wasn't so much in the way of electives. It was all that you get a bit of everything and yeah, whatever. Yeah. Um, but guitar was something that I'd wanted to do for a while. I'd I'd been an avid listener uh, to the, the family stereo from like, I've got pictures of me as like a two-year-old with a pair of headphones on. <laughs> And how I remember it is like I remember listening to Whole Lot of Love. Yes. And so, you know, the the whooshing of the theremin across the stereo spectrum and, and that whole and, you know, Robert Plant's orgasmic yelps. I can't even imagine well, like what I must have been thinking about all of that, but it just sounded, you know, I yeah, I'm not even going to speculate. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. I, I suppose you can just use your own imagination, like a two year old, like going, you know, what's going on? What the, yeah, what the hell is this? Yeah, yeah. So, and so who put that on for you, mum or your dad? Well, I did. Ah. So I, I actually learned to operate the, uh, the, 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 the record player. Oh, really? When I was two years old. Jeez, I don't let my twins go anywhere <laughs> near the vinyl, and they're five and a half. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, uh, I at one point I think I must have insisted, and and my parents, uh, uh, my mum's told me the story that mm. uh, uh, that uh, she said, "Okay, we're going to show you how to do it, but if you ever scratch a record, you won't be able to touch it for a very long time." And I was, uh, by all counts, very very careful and, yeah. and completely entrusted with the, uh, the the record collection, wow. which included like all of the kind of. Um, like seventies hippie kind of stuff. So there was um, Miriam McKeeba and um, a, a Lead Belly uh, best of, and Django and uh, Santana and yep. Joe Cocker and yeah. obviously Led Zeppelin and Deep Purple. No Beatles, strangely enough. Yeah, right. No Beatles, but the next door neighbour had uh, uh, Paul McCartney's. Uh, First, like Wings Band album, which was called Wildlife, got yeah. panned by the critics, savaged. <laughs> but um, I was obsessed with that album, oh, Abs- right. and I, uh, I think I must have um, uh, badgered my parents into getting it for me. Yeah. I, I still have that record, the same one that your I folks st- bought for yeah, you. Yeah, wow, that's yeah. cool. <laughs> yeah, so that was that was my first vinyl album, uh, my uh, first like the first. Uh, music that I owned, yeah. Uh, so it was about three years old. Other records that uh, that that I added to my collection by the time I was six uh, included uh, Susie Quattro's "Can the Can." Wow. <laughs> 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 um, 
Yeah, so, uh, yeah, very, very passionate uh, music lover as a kid. Um, yeah. yeah I, I remember even at like six, seven years old um, listening lots and lots to Queen's A Night at the Opera. Oh, wow. Okay. Yep. So yeah. that, was, that was definitely headphone candy, lots going on in that album. Yeah. Yeah. So listening to music growing up, it was more so a tradition of with headphones on. So you weren't like disturbing anyone in the house. You'd put your headphones on, put the record on and just, just chill in the bedroom and just listen to music. In, in the living room, actually. Oh, in the living room. And and not so that I wasn't disturbing anyone, but so they weren't disturbing me. <laughs> I really was like, I want to get into this. I don't want yeah. you talking over the music. I want to just listen to it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's cool. <laughs> And so was the record collection, like, before you started asking for music, was it primarily your mum's collection or your dad's or an amalgamation of both? Amalgamation of both. So right. they both had very- Cool you know, like, taste. Yeah, very distinct tastes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, dad's more into, I guess, the um, uh, maybe blues and, and, and some kind of, like, uh, soul stuff. Yeah. And, and mum's more into, I, I guess, like, uh, jazz. She started getting into opera later on and, mm-hmm. and, and that sort of thing. Um, yeah, right. So dad will uh, have the Travelling Wilburys now and mum will have, like, uh, Diana Krall and Melody Gardo and that sort of thing in her collection. There you go. So, yeah. Well, either of um, your folks, uh, they're obviously fans of music, but did either of them ever play an instrument? Well, I... I remember Dad playing guitar. He had this um, uh, nylon string, yeah. but I don't think he ever uh, learned to play very much. So, like, I think you could pick out a couple of chords and that was it. Yeah. But I think that must have uh, been fixed in my head that, uh, yeah. So, uh, like, I, I I picked up guitar firstly because I wanted to be like my dad uh, and secondly or equally because uh, I, I was just, uh, yeah, madly passionate about music. Yeah, right. Yeah. So that kind of really came at a pivotal moment in your upbringing. You'd, you'd you know, listen to all this amazing music all the way up through your childhood and then your folks split and, and your mum's going off to Victoria and, and, and you're staying up in Canberra with your dad. You, you, ha- you have this, like, distinct memory of him playing a guitar and then as an elective you're, you're saying, well, now you get to play music in school. It's all just kind of, kind of come to a, a head right at that moment. Yeah. That would have been incredible. Pretty much. Um, well, like bit of bit of sweet, I suppose. Yeah. Really, yeah, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Uh, I, I I don't know what uh, uh, what what I was thinking at the time. I can't remember. But yeah. um, I uh, I I also tried out the cello in year seven. I remember that, yes. and I never made any sense of it. Um, all, all the um, all the string instruments were kind of stuck in a in a uh, an adjacent room on our own. We didn't have an instructor. Right. They, that, they didn't have a, a spare teacher for us. So basically, there were two music teachers teaching the rest of the the, the concert band how to play trumpets and flutes and, and oh okay and clarinets and uh, and and the the violin and cello players were. You know, we're stuck in a yeah, <laughs> stuck in a room on our own, you know, like to, to fend for ourselves. Oh, jeez, that's I, rough. I learned, I learned nothing. Like uh, there, there was, there was sheet music. I didn't, didn't learn how to read there. No. The following year, uh, and I don't know how this came about, but I got the opportunity to uh, start playing electric bass in the concert band, and right. I took that up. And by the next year, I was playing in the school jazz band, and I remember. 
by that point, I was also sight reading uh, music. Huh. Um, in year nine, there was a uh, there was a uh, a fill-in music teacher, um, and I, I want to call these teachers out because uh, uh, they um that that they were a, a bigger influence on me than than I've uh, really kind of given credit ever. Um, sure, yeah. Uh, for uh, in terms of uh, positive influence and yeah, and so there were uh, Annette Pirani and Michelle Frost in Canberra, and uh, and the uh, the temp teacher who was with us for six months was Kurt Hahn, and and I was probably the only kid in the class uh, who uh, who picked up what what he was trying to teach us. But yeah. basically, in, in the time he was with us, uh, I, I learned the cycle of fifths, right, and. Uh, key signatures and uh, note and chord relationships, and and that really kickstarted my understanding of music theory. So I had a really really solid foundation by the time I was like fifteen years old. Yeah, um, which was pretty amazing. Um, like there's, um, there, there, there's always been, um, I guess. Uh, a gap between uh, me and the, uh, the the kind of rock musos that I tend to congregate around. Sure. In that, uh, like I, I I understand, like I I can talk about what uh, what I'm playing, and, yeah, and yeah. Most of them can only play it. Yeah, right, yeah. right. And um, if I'd kind of graduated to playing with like jazz guys or, or you know the the sharper kind of cover band circuit uh, players or, or you know just a Higher grade of musician, basically. Yeah, uh, yeah. We probably would have been talking the same language, but uh, yeah, right. Yeah, um, yeah. I've it, interviewed it was- dudes that have like got like crazy theory knowledge and stuff, and they'll you know talk about it and stuff, and um, you know that that never really came easy to me because I didn't have an instrument to apply it to. You know, I was always a vocalist and then an instrumentalist secondary. You know. Um, but you know, hats off to the guys that have really done their homework in that vein of um, of music theory. Because I'm just you know, as an adult, I teach junior music to sevens and eights, and I'm just sitting there doing just like basic, you know, semi briefs, minims, crotchets, quavers. They give me a dotted minimum. I'm like, nah, man, let's not let's not worry about that. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, so my um, theory knowledge is is really more rooted in the ear musician. You know, I can hear something and I can play it, rather than trying to figure out, you know, exactly how you would notate something. You know, because to get like I know like over a hundred tunes on a guitar, you know, and can sing them. And I just got my chord chart and away I go. And if there's a little fiddly bit, I'll, like, I'll ask a guitarist, how do you play that part? You know what I mean? But I wouldn't like seek out like manuscript and go, oh, okay, it's a dotted minimum versus, you know what I mean? And it's a swung. Nah, that would be a di- but that would be like your jam, right? Yeah, uh, uh, absolutely. And yeah. I had um, – like I, I didn't have influences in terms of musicians that I that I played with in, yeah. in a creative context to, to help me out, but – um, I did cross paths with uh, uh, with a few people who who were able to to uh, push my understanding or my abilities forward. And yeah. um, I mean, like I, I like I hear stories about guys who have you know who played in. Um, well, I was listening to to your um, interview with Nat Allison and you know, talking about uh, like her experiences at fifteen years old. <laughs> 
I know. <laughs> like it just it makes me weep. Like I, I would yeah. have uh, like uh, killed for, for for those experiences. But um, she was probably a lot better at fifteen than than you know I, I was at even twenty five. So well, that's uh, the thing. You know, like I also interviewed a young man called Aaron Chembury, and he he was a student at my school. He never even took the music class because he was gigging in with uh, older musos at fifteen. It's like, well, I don't need to study music at school. I'm already doing it on the weekends, you know. So, yeah, you always like look back and go, "Oh man, what if? What if?" Yeah, it's that's that's the trap, you know. Yeah, yeah, and uh, uh, yeah, it, it is a, it's definitely a trap. So, um, so you're playing in like the concert bands and stuff. When did you play in like a rock and roll band at all at school? Well, in year ten, uh, a, a bunch of us formed a rock and roll band. Yeah, what was and it? What was it called? What was it, called? <laughs> it was called Run for Cover. Oh, that's like good. We, we uh, yeah, um, yeah. It was it was kind of like a tongue in cheek joke. You know, we're terrible. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so if you're going to show up to the gig, be prepared to run away, man. Yeah, it's that's not going to be pleasant. It, it could be really bad, but. Uh, Look, uh, there, there was um, there was band after band after band. So like e- yeah. ev- every year, like I try something new, right? New, new new bunch of guys. And by the time I was seventeen, I had uh, I was playing bass and singing. Had another guitarist. Um, I had a guitarist, I should say. Yeah. Um, and we'd found this uh, pair of fifteen-year-olds, uh, a keyboard player and a drummer. Hmm. And they were good. They were really, really good. They, and they could both sing as well. Oh. So we had we had four singers in the band and we worked up close to 50 top 40 in classic rock songs. Beautiful. And were playing in the, the clubs in Canberra, like Friday night at the at the Rose and Crown in, in Western Creek. Yeah. And, um, uh, so <laughs> I, I have memories of... of um, of some like because you had to to set up your own PA as well like this yeah. I can't even remember maybe an eight track you know, like powered mixing desk and you know a couple of foldback wedges and, <laughs> and like plugging everything in and making everything work and as the uh, as the guy who was the 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 can do self starter and um, band leader it kind of fell on, it fell on my shoulders to to make all of that stuff work sure and i remember one um and, and so we would play four sets Whoa, so four sets four sets so we're in a we're in a place like a drinking establishment none of us are old enough to drink yeah. you know we're playing to like we're playing to to bikies some of it's a bit of a rough crowd sure yeah and um uh <laughs> and, and we finished at 2 a.m. Um, and and like your that, folks are all there, like uh, like dad would have been there, yeah, because yeah, uh, he he would have been driving uh, driving us around, yeah, yeah. and um, uh, at uh, yeah, finish at two two a.m. after doing four sets, and <laughs> uh, and just like rolling up the cables. My my cable rolling technique is excellent, by the way. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and then I would get home and I would have like nightmares about like I, I would just be rolling cables endlessly because <laughs> like the energy hadn't wound down yet and so I would just be spinning around in my head the giant I was cable to, uh, is like strangling you and you <laughs> I was trying to get to sleep <laughs> oh my god yeah. yeah that's one of my favorite lessons when I'm when I'm teaching the kids man is like yep here's the lead it goes over 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 okay and now you put it through you make a knot and just looking at their glazed eyes like what what are you talking about 
How, what? So some of them have that really easy kinesthetic awareness where they can just do it, whereas others, each week, it's a struggle just to put the cable away. I'm like, dudes, get it. You know, if you're going to be a singer, you have two things. You've got to learn how to set up the PA and pack it down, you know. So you were, away, you were all across it, mate. Yeah, yeah. So much it was giving you nightmares. Yeah, oh, man. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That was uh, it, it was a good experience, but uh, yeah, I wanted to do original music, and yeah, right. it was uh, it was a struggle uh, from then on uh, trying to find um, places that where I could play original music um, because you could play covers and you could you could get gigs anywhere, yes. but, but try and do your own stuff, and it suddenly become a, uh, became a lot harder. Yeah, in in, in Canberra. Canberra. Yeah. So by uh, by the time I was twenty, I was. I was uh, looking for an out, right. uh, but that last year in Canberra, I, I happened to be a storeman in one of the music stores there. Okay, and had you left school by this point? I had, yeah, yeah, about I, eighteen, nineteen. No, I, I like I, I I made it most of the way through year eleven, and then just kind of dropped out. I was, okay, uh, yeah, so working, um, I, I think like a couple of stores, kind of jobs, that sort of thing. Mm. And uh, anyway. I was the storeman at this music store, so I was unpacking all of the uh, the, the the candy, all of the nice guitars and amps, and, yeah, man. Uh, and music instruction books and manuals, and you know harmonicas and gadgets, and yeah. like seeing everything uh, in the retail field. Which uh, you know, I I worked out uh, exactly what, what guitar strings uh, brands I liked, right? What, what gauges I liked, yep. what guitar picks I liked. You know, like I I worked out like all, all my preferences for my music gear sure. like, while I was in that uh, that uh, that that position. Um, something new would come along. I go, oh, I'll give this a try, and I'll yeah. buy you know buy a packet of those, and then oh. Well, they sucked. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Trial and error. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, but the, uh, the the guitar tech, the repairman, uh, would uh, he'd be finished setting up a guitar and like he'd he'd start playing like he was he was a bit of a jazzer and he'd go okay what's that and I'd uh, go okay that's a uh, it's a nine chord he goes yeah I'll go like F nine and he'd go yep. <laughs> you know, so like I'd, I'd get a little bit of ear training while I was uh, while you while were was work. working while I was working away. Yeah, how good's that? Yeah, yeah, it was pretty cool. Um, like a rock and roll apprenticeship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been a long apprenticeship, mate. Yeah, <laughs> that's it, man. <laughs> oh gosh. So twenty, I came down to Melbourne. Oh, you eventually made the way down yeah. here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so the guys who would come in the store, the, the Sydney guys, would always be complaining about. The, uh, the the scene there and the Melbourne guys would be just raving about yeah, about yeah. theirs. So I went, okay, sounds like Melbourne's the place to be. Yes, and it was, but uh, <clears throat> like I said, it was a, a massive culture shock. Yeah, um, and I found it really hard to adjust, and and it really um, uh, became obvious to me how uh, how social the scene was and how much I struggled. Like it, it had never been something that was that obvious to me in Canberra, just because. Uh, like there wasn't any observable culture to me, but in Melbourne there was, and I realised I was an outsider and and uh, I couldn't socialise very well. And I was like, like I was, you know, this basically like a country kid or something. Sure, yeah. Um, so I really struggled to adjust 
in, in Melbourne and yeah. and found it uh, pretty hard to, uh, to to find my way. Give, uh, give the listeners a little bit of um, context and myself as well. When, when you moved down to Melbourne in, at 19 or 20 years old, what year was that? What era of music were we faced? Early 90s. The so, early 90s. so grunge was just hitting. Okay, right. Um, Man in a Box had just come out. Then, you know, shortly followed by Smells Like Teen Spirit, Al- okay. uh, Alive. So all of that was hitting at once. Yeah, right. So, yeah. So all of that was happening. So, like, I, I got to Melbourne. Yeah. Uh, I was disoriented and the music scene was just turning on its head at yes, the same time. at the same time. Yeah. Whoa. So I've often fantasised about like what it would have been like to be alive ten years prior as a, as a t- like a, in my late teens, you know what I mean? Because like in 1990, 91, I was eleven, you know. So when all of that music was coming out, I was listening to it, but I wasn't able to go and see, you know, bands really. You know, it wasn't until I was in my late teens, all those bands had already been playing around the world for years, and then I would be catching up, you know, and eventually going to see them in the late 90s, early noughties. But actually being able to go see bands at that age would have, and while they're on that bubble, that would have been insane. Did you go to see many gigs really, like when you came down to Melbourne, when, when like Nirvana would, you know, because they toured once, didn't they? They came that's, down here. That's right, yeah, yeah. Um and I can't remember where they... It might have been like the Palace or something. Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, it yeah. was somewhere yeah. like a lot smaller than you would assume. Yeah. Um, look, I, I saw a few bands, um, but uh, pretty much like uh, like local cult bands. Like I remember seeing the Powder Monkeys a couple the of times. Powder Monkeys. Yeah. They've got those posters up at the Tote. Yeah. So you saw those guys play. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they were pretty full on. What yeah. kind of band were they? Uh, sort of like, um, uh, I guess like really turbocharged Detroit punk or something. That's Oh, more of a punk band. Yeah, well, yeah, so definitely a punk crossover. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, there was, yeah. Um, yeah, there was that kind of like very chaotic edge to what they were doing. Sure. Um, yeah, Tim Hemmonsley was just a force of nature. Yeah. Right. Yeah, really, really incredible to watch. Um, uh, not my kind of music though. Um, right, yeah, yeah. And... Um, I mean, I like I, I was like I was a huge like Def Leppard head basically at that point. Right. Like I, I'd, I'd grown up with like uh, like I discovered the Beatles when I was like five, and I obviously listening to Queen and, and Led mm. Zeppelin and Deep Purple and you know all, all the uh, uh, Neil Young like you know classic rock stuff, and then uh, like around the you know late eighties, I I cottoned onto the um the, the, the hard rock because Guns N' Roses had come out. Oh, I'd, I'd covered Sweet Child of Mine in, in at least one band yeah, by yeah. then, you know. So I like I'd done that. Um, oh, some of the songs that I covered, yeah. I've, I've learned I've learned so many songs in, in my time, and and that's one of the things that you know that's been to my advantage as well is that I've got a really fast ear. Yeah, right. Um, so and. Uh, I guess some of that's practice. Like I've I've forced myself to learn a lot of songs, mm. um, and and I've also kind of listened like just uh, for want of a better word, listened critically. Yes, like actually not not just listen for enjoyment, but kind of really try to pick out what's going on in a song and, yeah. and identify you know uh, like chords and that sort of thing. And, sure. And, 
you know, I'll, I'll hear something on the radio now, and if it's if it's a guitar-based song, I will hear what a G and a D and an E chord all sound like, and I'll know what they are, you know, like without ever pick up picking up an instrument. Yeah. When I'm when I'm transcribing a guitar solo, right? I will only pick up the guitar so that I can work out the uh, the the fretting and the position to work out what's actually what what falls un- under my fingers most conveniently. But right. I already know what the notes are. Yeah. Right. So yeah, but getting so getting, there's different positions you can play something in, but if you play it up top, you know, with you know lighter gauge strings versus you know down lower with lower gauge strings or whatever, it's going to be a different tone. And yep, or or just a or, you know that that G B like a, a interval break in the strings, like all the strings are in fourths except that pair that are thirds, and sometimes it fall like it just falls differently under your fingers. Yeah, yeah, all that kind of thing. Mm. And so how long into your time in Melbourne did you actually start, like, playing music again and, like, you know, getting in bands and stuff like that? It was probably within about, like, nine months. Um, and, like, I like I kind of jammed with a couple of musos um, uh, already by that point. But um, let me think about it. Yeah, I reckon it was um, it was probably nine about months. nine nine months before I started like trying to put a, a proper band together. And uh, it was and originals this time. It was yeah. yeah, it was originals. But like I, I worked with that band for a couple of years. And it was like a, a hard rock band, and and the kind of hard rock bands that are around in in the early nineties at that point were like the Candy Harlots and uh, uh, Serpentine, who were also that they were pretty much all Canberra lads as okay. well. Yeah. Um, yeah, I I, uh, I knew a couple of those guys from um, like high school, like into high school band competitions and that sort of thing. So like oh, we we we'd already crossed kind of paths. Yeah, we we we'd already seen each other's faces around you know around yeah. in Canberra and that sort of thing. Um, so it's funny because when you you mentioned earlier when you first came down, it was a bit of a culture shock and you you couldn't really connect socially. But then there's these dudes that you actually knew. Yep. Yep. But. It was like, uh, yeah, like I never really clicked with them. Like it, oh, it was okay. like we'd, we'd been we'd been rivals, you know, back in Canberra. Oh, so it's even worse once yeah. you get down here. Like, oh, this fucking guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's brilliant. Yeah. The rivalry re- continues. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. like, I, I never, uh, yeah, I, I was never part of that uh, that that social scene at all. Yeah. Um, I've never really understood that the whole rivalry thing when it comes to music. It's like you know you you hear about you know the um, community aspect that was happening in the early nineties in Seattle. You know, with all those bands that they were playing on each other's bills, and it was all very you know community minded and stuff. And then they all you know a lot of them started getting traction with the media and getting record deals and touring the world and da 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 da. Um, but all the documentaries that I've watched from that time is that like everyone was just would just get along you know it may just be romanticized i'm not sure because i didn't live in that time or in that town but um everything i've seen is like that it was a, a real community vibe and you, you you compare that to melbourne in any era really and it's like the complete opposite like everyone's like a competitor and it's like fuck man you know why don't we just play music together and try to put on a good show and forget all the the bullshit you know yeah look and to be fair, they might have a very different story about about what was going on. That might have just been like 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 how I saw things, you know. Yeah, right. So exactly. I, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know what their take on it is, but um, yeah, yeah. You know, 
So I, I don't want to put them, uh, you know, put them on the spot and put say, everyone yeah, down. these guys did this or whatever. But, yeah. you know, like that, that could have just been me getting, you know, getting funny ideas, you know. And just like f- feeling your way through, you know, living in a new town and like, you know, all that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And so what did you do for a day gig when you first came down here? Uh, well, uh, I went back to school uh, mm. had another stab at year 12 that um didn't finish it again oh dude yeah i know bummer yeah uh eventually found my way into um like uh telephone customer service and then yeah. uh and then i had a girlfriend who uh um who talked me into getting a uh like a, a an ex uh public service uh, pc or something second hand and uh and within a couple of weeks, I'd, I'd ripped it apart and worked out, you know, what all the components were. And I just started teaching myself, uh, like, uh, like I, IBM, IBM computing. Huh. And within about three years, I was a systems administrator uh, for, like, uh, like a, a state government department. Yeah, right. Yeah. You just like took this thing apart. Yeah, like, this is a piece of piss. I can learn this thing. I don't need to go to school to learn this. I self-taught. Apparently, you don't. Yeah, I, I self-taught my way through a Microsoft uh, Systems Engineer uh, wow. certification. Sat. Uh, you have to sit six exams. Yes, and pass six exams. And uh, I, like I, uh, I failed three so three times. Yeah. Uh, so I like I sat nine exams all up, but I I, I got the certification. Respect. Yeah. So that was that was through my twenties and um, and like I, w- I was doing the uh, the um, like original thing on and off um, okay. uh, through that uh, it was a bit restless like I like I hopped around sh- like share houses uh, all, you know pretty much all over Melbourne Flemington Glen Waverley you name it you lived everywhere yeah. Um, and uh, uh, had a uh, had a couple of original bands. Played open mics. Uh, I remember an open mic down at the Windsor Castle. Oh yeah, the Windsor. Yeah, yeah. It was run by uh, a, a, like a wild-eyed, uh, dreadlocked hippie called Pappy. Pappy missing a front tooth and and had like those really kind of wide eyes that that kind of uh, look like you've uh, you've had too many mushrooms. <laughs> But yeah, he was, yeah, he he was uh, he was a very gentle guy. Um, Quite a but just looked just looked crazy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. You're gonna go on fifth tonight, dude. Yeah, and uh, make sure you stick to the 15 minute time limit. Yeah, yeah. You've, you've got him pretty much. That down. was pretty much yeah. it. Fantastic. Yeah. Oh man. And so, um, what was the band like that? You know, because I know you've you've played in lots and lots of bands over your time, but in the nineties, um, you know, during your twenties, there um, was there a band that really sticks out that you know you really gave it a red hot go with, and played like a lot of shows with, or not really? No, not till you in your thirties. Not not till I was in my thirties. Okay, um, let's fast forward ne- to there then. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, like I, I like I tried uh, a couple of things. I you know done a couple of uh, recording sessions. I've got like demos from uh, when I was like twenty five, and then a couple more songs when I was like twenty eight, twenty nine. Yeah, um, and uh, really just like struggled to get a band together, uh, like around the uh, the the, uh, the music that I wanted to create. And I think I was probably a little bit out of step right. with, with what was happening. Yeah. Um, I know that feeling. Yeah. 
So, like, I was trying to do something that was kind of maybe a bit more classic rock when that was really not what was happening, yeah. um, like, uh, around the place. And uh, and so uh, there's th- there's a couple of um, kind of, like, maybe critical junctures that have happened in my musical development. And one of them was um, uh, when I, uh, I uh, had... Um, a conversation with uh, one of my wife's uh, first wife's uh, high school friend's uh, girlfriend, who was an opera singer, right? And and she was talking about uh, her singing lessons because uh, we were having a conversation about music, and uh, I must have said something like, "I'd love to, you know, do do singing lessons like that." And she goes, "You should go to my teacher." And I just went, "Uh." Uh, no, like I've got a terrible, like you know, like like I, like I, I don't have a like a, an opera quality voice. Sure, yeah. And she goes, that doesn't matter. Like, right? Yeah, like, uh, you you could totally uh, go go to my singing teacher if you really wanted to. Like, if they you know if they think they've got something to work with and they're uh, they're prepared to take you as a student. So I went for the audition. Yeah. And uh, so this was with uh, Gary May. Um, uh, who, um, if uh, if you're in that uh, that field, you'll know the name. Yes. Uh, and he decided that uh, that my uh, my voice wasn't for him, but um, that he was going to set me up with his associate Curtis Bayliss, who was like a jazz and theatre specialist. Right. So I did a couple of years with Curtis Bayliss um, developing my voice, and uh, and at the end of that, I felt like I needed a. Uh, uh, like a, a vocal challenge, and I don't even know how it came along, but an audition for a Led Zeppelin tribute band um, was offered to me. Ah, yeah, right. Come on in, mate. Mr. Lee Strap is just is waltzing in here at the Laneway Studios. Uh, we did mention earlier, Art of Touring listeners, that um, we are rehearsing tonight for uh, the Pearl Jam tribute show that's happening at the Corner Hotel on August 31st, but um, we'll get some comments from Lee a little bit later on. Um, yeah, right. And so it was a, a Led Zeppelin tribute band. So started uh, four years, about four and a half years of, uh, of working, uh, like playing, you know, a couple of gigs a month. Uh, uh, like around Melbourne and uh, out in the country, yeah. Um, you know, big crowds, small crowds, uh, yeah. Like all kinds of crazy places. I think there was like one of our first gigs was out at Yay, and uh, it was uh, it was a cold night. Um, it was it was in this pub. We were on the f- like there was no stage. We were on the floor. I th- did we have our own PA? I can't remember where the PA came from. Yeah, but it was like the like. That the publican had booked us, but the locals were terrified of us, and they were what? in the other room or something, oh, like trying to boy. trying to get as far away from us as possible. possible. So we, we just played like two sets and got the hell out of there. That was weird. Jeez, and, and then the, none of them even came in to check it out. It was like, no, nah, we'll get away from these dudes. And the uh, like, probably the, the the next week or, or you know a couple of weeks later, we would have been down at uh, the the Mornington Hotel. And uh, like you know, playing to a packed room. Yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> so you know, oh, had some really. Led Zeppelin's a very interesting band, like because there's, um, there's a relationship that people have with like you know, like music, you know, from particular bands. Yes. And and I think 
like Led Zeppelin draws a, like a lot, like a pretty like a wide spectrum of people. But yes, um, some very interesting characters are Led Zeppelin fans. Fans, yeah, yeah right. Yeah, very very interesting characters come out of the woodwork. Maybe I'm one of them. <laughs> <laughs> but well, but, to be in a Led Zeppelin tribute band, man, you have to be one of them. Most yeah, definitely. that's yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, well, the, the guitarist was also a massive Led Zeppelin fan. Um, yeah. yeah, now we have uh, Mr. Uh, Troy uh, gracing us with his presence as well here at Laneway Studios. But we'll just keep the podcast going, ladies and gentlemen. It's all good. Please come on in. Um, we're just hearing uh, Austin's stories of, of uh, playing in a Led Zeppelin tribute band oh, awesome. and playing to um, huge crowds and also minuscule crowds as well, which we yep. can all really relate to, can't we? Yeah. Yeah, most definitely. Um, and so while you're doing the um, the Led Zeppelin, Led Zeppelin tribute thing, um, can we kind of touch on the time where you eventually ended up playing originals with the Caning? Uh, yeah, that uh, that happened um, towards the uh, the. So there there were two tribute bands. So I finished up with uh, the the first one in about 2006, and then. Okay. Uh, uh, got approached by another one in about 2012 and did another like two two and a half years of another Led Zeppelin uh, another thing. Led Zeppelin thing. Yeah. Um, so that was kind of happening parallel with the caning. Um, oh, in 2012. Yeah. So yeah. I like I, I played with um, like a like a a couple of uh, like rhythm sections through the uh, the 2000s and uh, um, and then in uh, it was in 2012 where I like yeah. I think early 2012, where I just kind of had this epiphany and went, like, I'm not getting any younger. I've I've got to have a, a red hot crack at this. So this, the caning was where I went. Okay, like I, I'm really going to to uh, you know put some effort in putting something together and uh, uh, like uh, auditioned a, like a, a bunch of musicians, went through a couple of lineup changes, and yep. then and, and then settled on one, and then called in a. Uh, uh, a favor with a friend who um, uh, who hooked me up with a uh, like a producer from New Jersey called Tim Gillies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember this. Yeah, so uh, he, we, we ended up flying him out, mm. um, and uh, he did pre production with us, and then we, we came back out and and, uh, and tracked an album, and yeah. he, he went back and mixed it uh, in uh, in his studio, and he'd uh, he'd basically taken inheritance of uh, Madonna's manager's old studio which was called Quantum Sound oh right and where this was is, that was that in New Jersey or uh, yeah uh, Jersey City Jersey City right and uh, and so it had had some uh, some pretty amazing vibes in that place uh, so uh Andy Wallace used to work out of there all the time. So mm-hmm. in, I'm pretty sure In Excess's Kick album was mixed there. Oh, really? Grace was mixed there. Grace! The Ra- Buckley. Rage Against the Machines first album was mixed there. Whoa. So, yeah. Pretty like, awesome really pedigree. Very, very awesome pedigree. So ours, our effort uh, was uh, was nowhere near the... Uh, the um, uh, success or impact of any of those <laughs> titles. <laughs> oh, look at, but but it was I've it was, it was great. S- it was great to like you know just take it take a little bite of that apple and and, well, why and not, you know man? Like, yeah. touch yeah touch touch a bit of uh you know bit of greatness uh just by uh, association association yeah, yeah. so like, I've worked with cats that have you know had like you know amazing careers and you know worked with this person or whatever like I remember when we were mastering our album. Um, 
the 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 place where we got it mastered, there was a piece of equipment that was used to master like ten or something, you know, Pearl Jam's ten. <laughs> and I thought that because you know that studio got sold, and then they sold off all the equipment, and someone said, "Oh, that's from that album," you know, and that's from that studio, and so they put it in this mastering suite, and that just you know got my juices flowing, you know. I'm like, but really, at the end of the day, it's just a piece of hardware, but still, it's got that story attached to it, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, we. Uh, we, we recorded an album that uh, that uh, we never actually released. Uh, yeah, right. Never got dropped. No, never oh, never got dropped. So man. there was there was talk about. Um, uh, uh, like, you should just release it independently now. Well, that's Have you thought about that. Yeah, yep. Yeah, so there's a plan to do that. Oh, so good, it, good. Uh, it, it, it may happen this year. Yeah. Um, Is that under the moniker Dunmore Music? Dunmore Music, that's right. right so, on, nice. So, and I'm basically distilling it down to about the best five or six tracks, and I'm going to do an EP, and it will probably be a vinyl EP nice. online. Um, so, yeah, it, like, I, I, like I, I hit like a lot of personal problems um, like just around the same time, and mm. like I couldn't carry the load. Mm. Um, if uh, if I if, if my life had been stable at that point, I might have self released. But it yeah. just like it, it was beyond me, and uh, and it, you know it wasn't uh, wasn't meant to be. Yeah, it, nobody else was going to step into the breach there. So yeah, so right. that like that's five years now, and I've I've uh, regrouped and mm. um, have a uh, have a direction for where I'm going now and, nice. and starting to uh, starting to, to write and record and uh, and I've got a, an EP an acoustic well acoustic driven EP is probably the best way to put it that sure. um, I'm hoping to release by the end of the year I've got another acoustic song that I want to uh, score a uh, a string quartet on mm. um, there's another song that uh, that we worked with a um, uh, like a, a prominent Australian producer uh, on uh, kind of as a as a tryout, uh, it it never never really happened. Like the uh, the, the sessions uh, got abandoned halfway through. But I've got all the like I've got a great song there with all the guitar tracks, bass tracks, yeah. like drums, and it just like needs uh, the, yeah, it just needs finishing off. I I got a guy a session guy to cut a guitar solo on it, and it's like it's like. Beat it or something. Well, not quite, but um, but it's just like a ripping high energy guitar solo. And uh, and when he put that on, I said, "Oh, this thing's got some life to it." Nice. So I'm really looking forward to to get like you know I have about three or four projects that that are cooking right now that uh, that I've just got to kind of uh, get off my ass and 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 find the find the time to organize and uh, and, and get them out. Yeah. Yeah. Nice, man. Um, I would ask um, before we finish up because uh, yeah, there's quite a few musos uh, knocking around now, trying to get into this room, um, and that is um, of all those projects that we just mentioned. Is there one that you would like to share with us, like at the beginning of this podcast? I'll, I'll play like a little bit of a preview for the for the art of touring listeners. Well, uh, if uh, if it's still up on Reverb Nation, there's a uh, there's a track called "Burnout Fade Away" mm-hmm. uh, that uh, that probably showcases my voice the best. Nice. Um, there's uh, or uh, there's a, another song that's definitely on YouTube because I got a guy to do a, a music video to it. Um, quite a dark video, and it's called Vincent Crane. And, okay. And that it, it's it's about a six minute song, but um, it's probably. 
uh, in terms of songwriting, one of the one of my proudest moments. Oh, right yeah. on. Yeah. Well, we'll heard, we will have heard a little bit of Vincent Crane um, prior to this interview. And, um, and now, before we finish up, man, let's touch on this gig that we're in the midst of getting ready for, my friend. Oh, yeah. My favourite Pearl Jam album, Vitalogy. Vitalogy. Yeah. 25 years ago, this was, uh, this was released on the world. And, um, and we're putting on this, this uh, mammoth gig at the Corner Hotel on Saturday the 31st of August, which is in a few weeks if you are listening to this, you know, um, when it drops. Um, uh, but, you know, if you're catching up on the art of touring, this gig may have already f- finished, but hopefully you're listening to this prior to the show. Um, we've got the Millionaires Club playing with us. We've got Della Coma as well, who was, um, you know, both of these guys um, feature musicians um, that have been uh, previous guests of the Art of Touring podcast. And then we're going to play, yeah, the whole album back to back. It's going to be amazing. I, I can't wait. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, really juiced. I think someone commented, you know, you're going to play Hey Foxy, Mop Handle Mama, That's Me. And on the way here um, to rehearsal tonight, I, I played the whole album in the car and I just, I listened to that whole seven and a half minute experimental nonsense. And I'm like, there's no way we're going to play that. I'm actually hesitant to, hesitant to even play it through the PA. Like, it's that bizarre. I reckon people would just leave the venue. <laughs> It's got all this really weird shit in there, man. I think it's one of those things that you can take liberties with when you when you're putting out like a, a recorded album. But yeah, like have Pearl Jam ever played it live? No, is what I'd ask. No. So you yeah. know, why why, why would, would you put that on us or no. the you know the crowd we're playing to? Exactly. So maybe well, not that one. But I mean, uh, wow, um, uh, Satan's Bed is going to be. Like ripping, yeah. We're just going to try that circle. one the, t- for the first time tonight, yeah. Art of Touring listeners. So let's yeah. hope it goes well. Uh, corduroy, yeah. So many great rocking tracks. I can't yeah, wait. It's going to be sick, man. Yeah. Well, thanks again for joining me on uh, the Art of Touring uh, tonight, Austin. And also, before we go, if people want to follow your musical career, what are your social channels? Yeah. So Dunmore Music uh, on Facebook, uh, mm-hmm. Dunmore underscore Music on Instagram. Uh, I think i've also got sound well i think i have also got soundcloud twitter i'm relatively active across all those four channels uh, but probably mostly on instagram at the moment nice one and we'll keep our ear to the ground for any um upcoming um releases from dunmore music Mm -hmm. also dunmoremusic.com dunmoremusic.com of course. Get it in there, mate. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us this uh, tonight, mate, on the other touring, and we'll um, we'll see you at the Corner Hotel on the 31st. Thanks for having me, Dave. Cheers, mate. Ciao. And that's a wrap, Sizzlers. Episode 68. All done and dusted. Thanks for listening. If you did enjoy this episode, give the podcast a share on social media. Go and do it. Someone, please, other than a guest, just share the pod. What inches? Apparently, people are listening. We get loads and loads of listens every week. Maybe they turn it off after the, the interview. I don't want to hear this bloke bang on about his podcast again. But if you are, if you are one of those hardcores that do listen each week, give us a little love on Instagram or Facebook. Why don't you? Hey, I'll make it worth your while. All right? I'll send you something in the post. The snail mail. It could be a, a 
stage-used guitar pick, man. How cool is that? Uh, you know, uh, you can uh, follow us on Instagram. Give us a follow um, at Art of Doing Podcast. If you're a first-time listener of the show, uh, come back each week. Keep listening. I have a new guest each week, so come on back and uh, join the Art of Touring family. Uh, if you would like to get in contact with me, you can email me directly at artoftouringpodcast at gmail.com. Maybe you would like to be a guest on the show. If you're a touring musician, performer, or wrestler, hit me up or send me a message on Instagram at Art of Touring Podcast. You can listen to Art of Touring on Wooshka and you can download it on iTunes if you've enjoyed. Oh, and you can also uh, listen to it on Stitcher. You can pretty much listen to this on any platform that you can get podcasts on. Uh, the URL, the, um, the RSS feed, it just goes out everywhere. So just put in Art of Touring in anything and you'll be able to find it. I think the only thing you can't find it on is YouTube because I have to do that myself. The RSS feed doesn't create YouTube videos. Other than that, it's everywhere, man. So if you've enjoyed this episode, wherever you've listened to it, take a moment to give the podcast a rating within the podcast app on your phone and write a short review and stick around next week for another episode. Now let's get into some plugs. On Saturday, August 31st, members of the Passouts and the Warbirds and Dunmore Music are playing Pearl Jam's Vitalogy in its entirety for the 25th anniversary of the album. We're putting on this show at the fucking corner hotel in richmond there you go an f-bomb at the end of the pod that's a rarity tickets are on sale now via the corners website so log on now grab your tickets before they're all gone head straight to the cornerhotel.com uh head to their gigs section and buy your tickets supporting us on the night will be um a lot of art of touring alumni we've got james uh, julian james and nick ivkovich with their band the millionaires club who play exclusively wrestling theme songs we also have Della Coma, who's uh, taking the middle slot on the night, who's also a guest on the pod. Two members, uh, sorry, a member of his band, uh, Jared Medwin, has also been a guest on the podcast. And now, of course, the headlining act, Austin Dunmore, and can't forget Troy Mail as well. Both of those guys have been guests on the show. So it's a, it's a real uh, family affair uh, as far as Art of Touring guests go for this evening's worth of entertainment on the 31st of August at the Corner Hotel. Again, tickets are on sale now, so get them while you can and uh, you don't want to miss out on the gig of the year. That's all from me this week. Before I have a before I go, I do have a few shout-outs. Shout-out to Chris Wall, who designed the artwork for this show. You can follow him on Instagram at Mr. Wall, spelt W-A-H-L. Big thanks to my guest this week, Austin Dunmore of Dunmore Music. Be sure to check out his Instagram page, Dunmore Music, and catch Austin fulfilling guitar duties live. You've never heard this bloody date before. I'm going to say it again. Saturday, August 31st at the Corner Hotel with me. That's all from me this week. Thanks again for listening. Tune in next time for another episode of The Art of Touring with us. Is go, 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 go. Remember, this week's podcast was brought to you by the Unified Fund, where every single mum has a chance to snag their very own professional 10-pin bowler. 
well, I haven't had anything to eat. So this is going to go straight to my head and it's going to be a very uh, interesting interview. <laughs> uh-huh. bit, bit on the whiskey side. Well, I haven't either. And yeah, I, So I, after this, I'll have to get some pizza or something. To Yeah, that, that's what I was thinking. I mean, the McDonald's is dangerously close and I don't want to do that. No, no, pizza's better, I think. Yep. We, we can do better than that Agreed. on a Wednesday there, there, There's one up the, uh, the, the street. Or... Yeah, there is a pizza place up there.